Welcome to Upfront, the podcast. I'm Katie Hannan. On the week that Katie Taylor returns to Dublin to headline at the Three Arena, we chat to the woman who first blazed a trail for women's boxing in Ireland. Drogheda's Deirdre Gogarty became Ireland's first ever woman professional boxer when beating Anne-Marie Griffin in Limerick in 1991. She went on to box against Christy Martin on the undercard of Mike Tyson versus Frank Bruno at the MGM Arena in Las Vegas in 1996 in a fight that changed perceptions about women in sport. She's back in Ireland to attend Katie's historic homecoming on Saturday night and as part of a campaign to raise a statue to her in her hometown of Drogheda. Dear Dugogarty, welcome to the Upfront podcast. And uh, you're back in Ireland, or you're back in Ireland to see family, obviously, but also you're timing it to coincide with Katie Taylor's first professional fight in Ireland. And you've just come from meeting Katie. Yeah, yeah, it was wonderful to see her again. Um, I first met her when she was 11. Well, she was younger than 11, actually. And she came to the house to talk about, you know, she wanted to box and she was having great difficulty getting matches and kind of looking for guidance on what to do and my attitude was just keep working at it and keep getting the skills. And when people see the skills, they'll, they'll say, oh, she's got a box. You know, she's so good. Because she, I know, and I heard Katie talking about you recently, saying that you were one of her idols. You're obviously a pioneer in women's boxing. Talk to me about that letter she wrote you. Was that your first realization that she was out there there was this little girl who who was dreaming of being Um, well I knew she was out there and um when I got the letter you know I was just delighted she was so passionate about boxing and uh, you know it really stuck with me and I, I kept that letter very carefully preserved because of you know, she she says in the letter, one day maybe they'll let us box in the Olympics. And I thought, oh, she might be pushing it there. But, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I'd love to read that letter now, how fast everything has changed. And it's changed in, in her time. It was too late for me, obviously. But I'm so happy it changed in her time because what a waste of a great athlete that would have been. And you actually kept that letter. So there was something in that that you, you thought, this this will be worth keeping. Oh, yes, definitely. And, um, you know, I, re- I just remember it really stood out to me. It really the words of it really stuck in my head. So, um, you know, of course, when she went on to, to box amateur and win the championships and then go on to the Olympics, I you know, that letter was always in the back of my mind to just to how amazing it was that it all came true. And of course, I have to ask you, we're going to be watching her in this fight uh, on Saturday. And this incredible success she's had and, and other uh, female boxers in Ireland have had over the last 20 years. It must it must uh, sting a little bit for you when you when you watch them. I mean, I know you must obviously you are delighted for them, but a little part of you must think it should have been me. Yes, um, I mean, you know, you could say the term you missed the boat, but the boat wasn't even in the dock for me. So, um, you know, yeah, I, you know, I obviously I dreamed my dream was to, to be able to represent Ireland and fight in such like the Olympics and win multi-world title. I had all those dreams, but the opportunities just weren't there. So, yeah, sometimes I'm like, gosh, I wish that was me. You know, I wish I had had that opportunity. Um and a lot of my fighting was done outside the ring. Not, you know, I wanted to just fight in the ring, but I had to do so much fighting out of the ring. 
So, you know, people, it's harder for people to appreciate that type of fighting, the type that has to be outside the ring. So, um, but, you know, Katie always gives the uh, credit to me for inspiring her. And, um, you know, it feels really good. There's a statue uh, campaign in Drogheda, and I'll finally get a symbol of national recognition that doesn't get any bigger than a statue being put up of you. But up till now, I kind of felt like maybe people had forgotten and didn't uh, don't appreciate the fight that had to go ahead of that just to be allowed to be in the ring. And just explain to people the people behind that campaign to get that statue of you in your hometown are all the people who benefited really from the pioneering work you did outside the ring and inside the ring. Yeah, well, um, you know, it's just it's, it's I'm just so glad that people are realizing it now. It's almost like um, maybe back in the, you know, I kind of wonder why, why did people not seem to appreciate what went before? And, and maybe people didn't see the big picture, but now they're seeing the big picture because of Katie's success and the level that boxing is now. I'm not I always say I'm not surprised by I knew women's boxing could be at this level. I have no doubt in my mind. I'm just really grateful you know, it's Irish woman and that it's Katie from meeting her so young and that she stuck with it. And um, it's taken it to this level now. So now it's come full circle and people can kind of really appreciate it in a historic context. But it's taken some time and um, very grateful it's here now. Okay. Okay. well, let's go right back to the very beginning. Actually, first of all, let me do a random question with you. Uh, You you know about these random questions. Give me a number between one and twenty. Three. Okay, who or what makes you laugh? Uh, Steve Carell. <laughs> I just love a good, uh, dry sense of humour. Okay, so take me right back then to growing up in Drogheda. It's all Barry McGuigan's fault, really, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Barry McGuigan was my inspiration for sure. Uh, when I saw him win the world title, it, it, uh, I wanted to be a champion just like him. Like, I'm not sure the people who aren't our age, Deirdre, really appreciate what a massive star Barry McGuigan was. Right. Like, he was a huge celebrity, wasn't he? Huge celebrity and everybody was talking about him. So it made it a bit more acceptable to be uh, interested in boxing because he made it so mainstream in Ireland. But still, as a female... um, I, you know, I could talk about him because everybody was talking about Barry McGuigan, Bush. I still was very secretive about my own interest in doing it myself. I've heard you describe your 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 childhood and being raised to be ladylike. Right. Yeah. You both your parents were dentists. Is that right? They were both dentists. Yeah, and you know, raised me to be very um, proper and well behaved and respectable. <laughs> Was your dad, I just, I was watching the fight and the commentator said something about your dad inventing see-through braces. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> well, he did actually initially. He wasn't, um, pa- he never patented anything he invented. So he wasn't uh, Invisalign. He wasn't a millionaire, <laughs> but he did invent a lot of things in dentistry and he did um, invent invisible braces, but not Invisalign like a lot of people presume. But um, he was a brilliant man. What do they want you to do? Because you you'd a big you were in a big family. There was seven of you. Uh, yes. Um, well, they didn't want any of us to be dentists because <laughs> uh, it's such a hard job. But um, you know, I I my fallback was art. I was good at art, and um, so that's what I ended up making a career in. Because I had to keep a day job all through my boxing career to pay the bills. 
So you, you were a graphic designer. Right. Yeah. And I funded my boxing career with my earnings from graphic design. OK, but take me back. You're a teenager. You were just and I, I think it goes even beyond an interest in but like you, you just became obsessed with boxing, really, didn't you? You know, now with looking back, it was total fate. My father um, moved his practice into Drogheda on Wellington Quay and it was right across the parking lot from the Drogheda Amateur Boxing Club. So, I mean, I mean, it just had to be. So I would study that club and I'd see the guys going in and out and training upstairs. And I would just dream of being a fly on the wall in that club. But I knew women didn't go there. So I was afraid to approach them that I'd be rejected. And finally, I just built up the courage and walked across that parking lot and started chatting up the uh, coach. And he didn't know what to make of me. <laughs> And there literally were no women in there at all, no girls in there at all at that stage. There, there was uh, one girl um, training for soccer. Her brother was a boxer, but no boxing at all. None. And you got a punch bag and you were using it secretly. Is that right at home? Yes, I, I hung it in the cupboard. I had a big cupboard I could walk into and I hung it in there because I didn't want people to know that I was punching a bag and. I would make my knuckles bleed a lot. So I started wrapping my knuckles with the bed sheet, strips of bed sheet and go in there and pummel away. Didn't have a clue what I was doing, but uh, I'd fantasize about all the great fights I'd win. <laughs> you moved to Dublin at 17 then. Again, you were very young. Well, I um, went to school and got a degree in art and I ended up uh, getting a job at Murakami Wolf Dublin and working on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So that was my first job in Dublin. In animation? Yes. Yeah. Um, and you started training with Pat McCormick at that stage? Yeah. I went to St. Saviour's and Pat was became my coach and uh, he was a rebellious uh, little guy. So he didn't mind that uh, people gave him a terrible time over wasting his time on a girl. And then tell me about the... The only, the Irish fight, which is years ahead, and I suppose we should just explain to people if they're not clued into this world. It was illegal to, there was no structures, there was no legal boxing, right. professional boxing or amateur boxing for women in Ireland in the 90s. Yeah, none at all. It wasn't allowed, not even an exhibition. Uh, so you weren't putting up with that. <laughs> no, I kept... Uh, I knew there'd be another girl out there summer who wanted to fight. So even if we weren't in those same weight division, we'd fight somehow. So um, luckily enough, Anne-Marie Griffin was out there. She was kickboxing. And a fight was arranged. Right, on a kickboxing card. And it was supposed to be an exhibition, but they scored the fight, which was great because I got the decision. So I was delighted. But I trained four years before I got that fight. This was in Limerick in 1991. Right, yes. And was there, uh, what was the reaction? And the crowd loved it. You know, they were very impressed and we fought very well and people really, I mean, I really thought, okay, now we've shown what we can do. People really enjoyed it. They saw the skill level and boxing for women will be take off just like we'll be included in men's cards and everything. And uh, little did I know it was only the beginning of the fight. Yeah, because it just... That was it. There that was, was there, it, there yeah. was no second fight. No, I never fought in Ireland again. God. 
You went to London, you did some underground to, fights. Yeah. And again, it, it, it wasn't legal there either. It wasn't no. over. So you had to, and when I say underground, like who, who was organizing these? Um, just uh, like contacts, you know, contacts in London that knew Br the British fighters over there and knew the ladies that were boxing and trying to get matches. And um, Pat McCormick, he was a British champion, so he had a lot of contacts over there and they talked and arranged something. So, um, you know, Sue Atkins was considered the unofficial British champion of women's boxing. And I was always going after a fight with her. And I ended up fighting her protege, which was Jen Jane Johnson. I fought her twice in London. Um, how did your parents react to this? Now, did they know you were actually getting into the ring? And, and uh, Well, they did find out. I didn't tell anybody till after my first fight, the one in Limerick. And then I told uh, my family that I'd fought and I'd won, thinking that they'd be more relieved to know at least she's a winner, you know. <laughs> um, I wasn't getting killed, you know. Um, but uh, it was it was difficult. I, I, did, I don't think they knew what to make of it. And I guess they were worried I'd get hurt or maybe get in with the wrong people and be taken advantage of because it was a totally male world. And I guess that they felt I was vulnerable. Talk to me just about the act of going into a boxing ring, like what you, you know, what kind of a headspace you have to be in to do uh, that? Because I, I watched and honestly, the courage you I, I just can't even imagine where, you know, emotionally where you'd be at when you step into that ring, knowing what's coming. Yeah, I mean, it definitely takes a special person to have the courage to step in a boxing ring. It doesn't matter what level it is. It takes a special person. So, um just have this such an ambition and a drive that uh you take those risks you know knowing boxing um is dangerous knowing the possibility you could get hurt or knocked out but you take those risks because it's a drive in you it's a very special drive that wants you to get in a boxing ring and fight and i just had this obsession and this drive like i had to be a boxer i couldn't live without it and is there a thrill then of you know knowing you're 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 beating somebody or you're 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 getting oh, over oh yeah and I, I there was definitely a thrill for me i mean i had such a killer instinct i went into every fight with the intention of finishing it early so um and i loved that about it and i when i started boxing i was in a very difficult time in my life and it was the only time i felt completely consumed totally in the moment 100% and not thinking of my outside problems you know um you know, I can see now how people get into addiction because you just want an escape from life sometimes, you know, stop the world. I want to get off. And for me, it was boxing. It just uh, you have to be totally in the moment because, I mean, somebody's trying to knock your head off. So you you better be focused. Kill or be killed. <laughs> yes. That strikes me because and I don't know the difference. Obviously, there's a difference between the amateur game and, and the professionals, the, the professional sport. Uh, but like just watching, say, Kelly Harrington in the Olympics, almost kind of kind of going, oh, sorry, almost, you know, when the big punch would, would land. Is there a, a different kinds of relationship there? Well, there's definitely a special respect between you and a fighter. But for me in a fight, no, I never felt sorry for anybody. <laughs> I, I mean, I um, I love to um, be a finisher. I love being a finisher. So um and I felt I I went, like I said, I went into every fight just ended early. So and I ended a lot of fights early. So, um, no, I, I never felt sorry. I feel like if you've got 
the courage to step in and fight me, then, you know, and that's the same the other way around, you know, I've had to take my licks too, so. <laughs> what was the worst injuries you've had? Uh, my worst injury was a shoulder injury that basically ended my career. And uh, it happened in sparring, getting ready for a fight in Atlantic City in January of 1998. And um, I went ahead with the fight anyway. And of course, injured my shoulder even worse. And um, I did try to make a comeback in the the years following and just nothing panned out. But maybe God was kind of protecting me because the, the shoulder never really healed. Uh, OK, I want to talk to you now about that uh, 1996, that huge fight in 1996. I, I'll give you one uh, upfront question first, though. Another number, please, between Twelve. one and 20. Twelve. Twelve. What's the most expensive thing you ever bought, apart from if you own your house? Have you expensive <laughs> taste, Deirdre? No, not really. Um, probably my Toyota truck. <laughs> Toyota Tacoma and... Uh, I love my truck. <laughs> Actually, that's kind of interesting in f- a sidebar to the next story we're going to talk about, which is this fight in 1996, which uh, is basically credited with opening up women, female boxing. Uh, talk to me about it. Uh, well, um, I got very short notice for the fight. I got 10 days and my coach, who's bow was so typical. He would just... Because I was never interested in how heavy or what the weight class was or how much I was getting paid. I just wanted to know if I was fighting. So he called and said, you're fighting Christy Martin um, on the Tyson Bruno car, which I knew was the following week, son, the following week on the Saturday. And that's all he told me, you know. So um, so very short notice. I got one sparring session in his driveway. We didn't have a gym at the time, so we trained in his driveway and went straight out to Vegas. And um, next thing I know, uh, they've decided to put it on the pay-per-view part of the card, which was basically a last minute decision. And um, I mean, me and Christy knew women can fight. It was no surprise to us, but what was the surprise was so many people saw it that had never seen women fight and couldn't believe how well we could fight. But it was an incredible fight. Yeah. Yeah, it was a it was a good fight. I mean, I don't like watching it. I look at it and I wish I'd done this and I wish I'd done that. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it was a great fight for women's boxing. Definitely. After again now, so another massive moment, you know, huge boxing audience has seen that women can do it again. You would think that's the start of a massive change in your career. Right. Well, it changed in the sense um, I started to get better paid, except when I didn't get paid. But um, and I got more fights. So that was good. And, uh, you know, obviously there was a lot of coverage and the boxing outlets started to take women's boxing seriously. It used to be they didn't want to write articles about women's boxing or include it in boxing magazines or it might be just a little side column. But now it became an actual headline articles in boxing magazines. So to me, that was a big compliment. OK, well, then you didn't we go on. You talked about the. um. Oh, sorry, just going back to that one. Is it true that uh, your coach stuffed coins in your pocket so you could make the weight for that? Yes, that's true. Yeah, he went off to the casino and came back with rolls of quarters and we put them in everywhere we could put them. So I had to be within five pounds of the weight to, to I couldn't be too underweight. So and what was actually between you if you didn't have the coin uh, rolls? The official weigh in, I think it was 18 pounds. Yeah. <sighs> 
that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It takes its toll later in the fight. But, you know, I I learned about boxing, reading about Jack Dempsey, and uh, he fought people way bigger. So I had the attitude it didn't matter. Weight didn't matter. How much of boxing is attitude and how much is physical? Uh, probably about 80%. Do you really think 80% is attitude? Yeah, definitely. It's, a, it's a, such an intense mental sport. It's unbelievable. It's so mental, you know. Okay, then you had the title fight in 97 uh, and you became world champion on a point decision. Right, yeah. And you never got the $12,500 you were promised. Yeah, but you know, um, I did and it was tough because I quit my job two weeks before because I wanted to be a full-time boxer and focus on the training and anticipation that I would be paid for that fight. And so it was quite hard to turn around and go back to the day job and as a world champion. So... Um, it's kind of, it's kind of what you keep wondering, when are you going to live the world champion life, you know, but uh, maybe I am now. <laughs> this is it. You're getting a statue. Yeah. Uh, but at that time, you came home where there was no open top bus parade from Dublin Airport. No, there was a nice show at Dublin Airport, but Bo worked so hard to, to get people there. I mean, it wasn't like. They were coming out in droves. He he really worked hard. This on is Bo, your coach. Yeah, yeah, Bo, my manager and trainer, on getting the word out and trying to get people to show up at the airport and get the media out there. And it was a decent showing, but it would be nothing like what the women would get today. Uh, and what, a year after that you retired? Well, I didn't really retire. I, I injured my shoulder and just kept trying to get that healed and come back and come back. It just... The fights just kept falling through and, um, you know, I, I always hoped I'd get a rematch with Christy Martin and I kept training in hopes of that. When I turned 35, I realized, you know, it's time to make a decision and that's when I officially retired. You did get get, international, get inducted into the International uh, Boxing Hall of Fame. Was that, did that mean a lot to you? Oh yeah, it really did. You know, to get the recognition and um, to be remembered, it's really special. Because you, you go through so much, so many ups and downs and so much hell and sacrifice. Uh, and then you wonder, you know, could people even realize or remember it? And um, so that really, really boosted me up. And then I was kind of <clears throat> really on a low after Bo passed away because he was my voice in boxing. And I kind of felt I'd lost all traction. And in a way, I kind of totally withdrew from boxing and I stopped uh, taking interviews for probably a couple of years and I was feeling kind of sorry for myself and <clears throat> I was sharing with a friend that I, I wasn't getting any recognition in Ireland and um, lo and behold, Kieran McIver comes along and uh, he's like a new beau, you know, he's reinvigorated my um, my name and getting the attention out there in this great committee to do the statue. And so to me, it's uh, it's very healing and you just uh, never give up hope because you never know when the tide of fortune will turn. I, I think what's astonishing to me, actually, uh, looking back, is that this situation where you, you women couldn't box or were not, uh, there was no forum for women's boxing, that the ban wasn't actually lifted till 2001. Like we're, we're just over 20 years. And that in this really short window, there has been such international success from our, our female boxers, our women boxers. Right. I mean, it just goes to show what could have happened if it had been 
the, the ban had been lifted earlier. Um, but, you know, I'm glad it's happening now. And, um, I'm, you know, it, it's absolutely, sh sh you know, it's at the level now that I knew it could be. And I'm just glad to see it. Yeah. And it was, of course, Deirdre Nelson who took the discrimination case uh, to the Boxing Union of Ireland. Yes. And that's where, where the, the ban got lifted. And it was only another 10 years after that that Katie won gold in the Olympics in yes, London. So, you know, the likes of Deirdre Nelson doing that, you know, it's not fun going to court and going through these kind of cases. I mean, we want to fight in the ring, not in a courtroom. And the fact she did that and I think people don't realize just what a personal toll that takes on somebody and how emotional that is and difficult. And even financially, it's difficult, you know, funding your own career and, and having to fight these fights. So I think she doesn't get enough credit either. Talk to me about Katie then. When you watch Katie box, when you watch what Katie fight. Oh, well, it's brilliant. I mean, she's demonstrated how far, how elite women can fight. So... You know, everybody knows it can be done now and um, it's going to encourage other women to, to want to take the sport and get to that level and to be properly compensated and to get the recognition they deserve. In terms of her style, would she like would you have would you have uh, been a match for her in your day? Uh, well, I had, a, I had a different style. You know, Katie fights very relaxed and very confident in herself. I would say my style was a very anxious style. And I was always out to stop or knock out the opponent because I felt if I didn't, I wouldn't get the decision because I was almost always fighting in other girls' hometown. And, um, I, you know, I fought all over the States and I was always the foreigner. So <clears throat> I had a very different um, attitude and um, very aggressive style. I'd like to be a box fighter, but I was very aggressive and always looking to hurt the opponent. So um, so our styles were different, but our... Um, are harsh in that this the same. I just, I look at you now and I hear you talking about always, you know, being that style and aggressive fighter, always out to hurt the opponent. <laughs> I just find it very hard to put that persona into the person who's sitting in front of me. Yeah, it is. A, it's, it is amazing. I mean, I could turn it on like a light switch. It's like a dual personality and maybe I got a thrill out of that. <laughs> um, okay, one more, uh, one more random question. One more number, please. 17. Oh, this is what book are you reading right now? Oh, right now, um, uh, The um, Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Do you read a lot of those kind of books? I do, yeah. I, you know, I've done a lot of work on myself spiritually in the last few years. And I think um, that's another thing, difference uh, with me and Katie. She's great faith. And at the time in my boxing career, I didn't. And I wish I had because I was very driven on self-will instead of God's will. So um, so I've done a lot of work on myself uh, spiritually over the last 10 years, and it's been a huge change for me. You know, it's really relaxed me. I don't uh, future trip and worry like I used to. And um, I think I'd have been a much better fighter if I had that spiritual edge. But you always get there somehow, you know, you kind of um, go through the struggles and you struggle hard enough to seek something out higher than yourself and um, uh, better late than never. And I, are you religious as well as what you say spiritual? I, I wouldn't say religious, but I definitely I'm in a uh, 
spiritual fellowship. I work a self 12-step uh, program, which is uh, Al-Anon for the friends and families of alcoholics. And um, it's been a wonderful program and I've learned a lot and I've grown a lot. So um, um, I really enjoy that part of my life now. And some of the best friends I have are in the same program. And, uh, you know, it's just really interesting. You never know the depths of someone else's struggle. And uh, I always remember that. And I think it's very important to talk about these struggles so people don't feel alone. Do you want to talk about that struggle? Like what took you to well, Al-Anon? Well, I, you know, I grew up in a, in a difficult home and uh, my mother suffered a lot from uh, depression and um, probably um, um, bipolarism. So her, she was very moody and unstable and it was a very difficult, intense home. And I never knew what I was coming home to. So just growing up in the insecurity of that and um, the difficulties of of active alcoholism. My father was a drinker um, and they were wonderful people, but it just uh, made life very unstable and unpredictable. So I sought out boxing. I mean, I was born with this love of boxing, but it kind of took me out of all of that and into a different world. And I wanted to find a different world. And, um, you know, the people in boxing, I find they're very open and very, just very honest and very down to earth and found from, from some very strong characters like Pat McCormick, my coach here, and then Bo Williford in the States. Um, they kind of, were very protective of me and I kind of needed a strong uh, coach in my life to kind of uh, to, to feel protected because I always felt so vulnerable um, growing up. So uh, so eventually I found Al-Anon and I started working the program. My mother had already found it and she had given me a book when I left this, uh, for the States, but I didn't read it because uh, it had the uh, serenity prayer and it starts out with God. I said, oh, I don't want to read about that. But um, of course, you know, God always makes sure you seek him out some kind of way. <laughs> so I did. And um, I'm glad I did because um, life is just much better now. And um, it's been a really interesting journey. I have to you come across as somebody who has worked out a lot of stuff. Yeah, I have. And I've let go a lot of stuff. And um you know, I realize I have much more uh, sympathy now for what my mother was going through. I didn't appreciate that at the time. So, like I said, you just don't know what somebody else is going through and what their motives are for behaving the way they do. So um, have to be a bit more open minded. And did you make peace with your Is your mother still with us? No, my mother passed. In fact, the last time I was in Ireland was seven years ago when she passed away. And uh, I just pictured pushing all the bad stuff in you know, away and keeping all the good stuff, you know, because she really was a wonderful person and taught me a lot of things about being a strong, independent woman and um, a lot of skills that carried me through. And in the end, she was very supportive of the boxing and she kind of felt, you know, you have to let people be who they want to be. And your dad? Yeah, he was a wonderful man, but he passed away in two, uh, 2005. So in fact, his uh his anniversary is coming up on the 21st. So I'll be with my family on that day and we'll remember him and um, wonderful man. And uh, I think he'd be delighted. He was a sculptor himself. So I think he'd love to see this sculpture being made, this lovely statue. I think he'd be thrilled. Well, I think a lot of people would be thrilled because uh, if anyone deserves one, I think you do, Deirdre. 
many, many, many thanks for, thank for joining us and the very best to look with that. All right. Thank you. And that was Deirdre Gogarty. Subscribe now to get new episodes on your feet when they're published and get in touch if there's someone you'd like to hear featured. On Twitter, we're at RTE Upfront or send us a WhatsApp message to 087 677 1000. And don't forget to join us on RTE One and the RTE Player at 10.35 on Monday night for my TV show. Talk to you then. Thank you.